0: You are listening to the Nirvana podcast, season 2, episode 15, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Hello everybody, welcome to the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse. I'm Jedidja. And I'm Jelger. Yes, that means we have another guest on this time. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Before we are going to talk uh, with you about uh, today's topic, Nirvana and Pearl Jam, I think we have like two uh, things we must address. Yes. First of all, (laughs) uh, we kind of dropped the ball in our last episode.
1: Yeah, I feel bad about that.
0: Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, we, we were talking about uh, Nirvana's videos, and I think we said that perhaps the original edit of the Smells Like Teen Spirit video doesn't even exist anymore.
1: And then you found out it did.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's on YouTube, so yeah. it's pretty easy to find. I and, have and somehow really, we missed it. Yeah,
1: I have no idea how that happened. I mean, we did our research, but somehow this escaped our uh, algorithms. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah, sorry for... Uh, Messing that up. And if you want to see that video, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com Nirvana Podcast, because uh, I just posted it there. So uh, you can check it out there. Uh, the th- second thing I'd like to uh, address is the fact that this is our second to last episode. Yeah. Which means that, yeah, next time we're going to cover pretty much all loose ends. we still got lying around. Yep. Some final thoughts. So if you have any questions for us, please uh, let us know by sending us an email and uh, you can send it to Sherwoodpodcast at gmail.com. And also, we are going to announce our official top 10 Nirvana songs.
1: Yeah, it's going to be exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course, we're very curious to hear uh, the favorites of our listeners. So yep. if you want to send in a top 10 Nirvana songs, just send it to the same email address and uh, we'll discuss it uh, next time. Yeah,
1: you can still influence us because we haven't made our top 10 yet. We We That's also right. have to... Crack that case together somehow, but I think you found this yeah. elaborate scheme as to how we can sort of mix up our top tens into one. Yeah, big I, one, I figured right? out
0: a system, but um, <laughs> nice. more about that uh, <laughs> next time. Because of course we're going to um, make this episode first, yes. talking about Nirvana and Pearl Jam. I don't know very much about Pearl Jam. Well, just a bit. I think you, you're the same. So we had to invite a guest yeah. <laughs> who hopefully knows more about it than uh, than we do. Hopefully. Yeah, and it's my uh, former colleague uh, Jelge. So uh, once again, uh, welcome. It's great uh, to have you on. You're a bit younger than we are. Could you please uh, tell us a bit about how and when Pearl Jam
2: entered your life? Well, when when Pearl Jam exploded onto the scene, I was two years old. So I missed out on that. But when I grew older, I knew some of the Pearl Jam songs, like Alive and I think Jeremy or something. Stuff that you could hear on the radio. But not much besides that. And I remember that around 2005, 2006-ish, I started listening to 10 as a record. And it took me a long time to branch out in the rest of their their discography. Because I remember in 2007, I spoke to someone and they told me, like, you have to listen to the rest of their records. And I was like,
3: yeah, sure.
2: And I... (laughs) It took me like two years before I added verses to the mix Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. another one. But in 2012 uh, I went to an Incubus concert actually with someone I didn't know. She had meet and greet tickets with Incubus and she invited me along uh, via forum or something. I I don't really remember. We met up beforehand because she wanted to know who is this guy (laughs) that's coming along. (laughs) Um, Won't he embarrass me in front of Incubus? Exactly. And uh, she turned out to be A Pearl Jam fan first and an Incubus fan second. So she told me like that summer she would see Pearl Jam twice in Amsterdam and she would go to Berlin or Copenhagen and whatever. Her summer was Pearl Jam basically. And I was like, why? Why would (laughs) you want to see a band five times? And she told me about the live shows, how they never play the same set list. And I thought that was really interesting and that made me dive into the band more. And in the fall of 2012, I watched a documentary, 20, and that was sort of the... The point where it all sort of went down yeah. hill. <laughs> yeah. In 2014, I went to back-to-back shows in Amsterdam. So then I knew what she was talking about yeah. back in 2012. Um, so then you were sold? Then I was sold. But even at those first shows, there were a lot of songs that I didn't know. So the first night I was alone at the Ziggo Dome in Amsterdam. And I think the third song they played was Evacuation from their album, "Binaural," And I had no clue... What song they were playing. Hmm. And I felt embarrassed, but it also made me want to check out Binaural and almost like Riot Act, which I I had listened to them, but they didn't really stick with me. So when I saw them in 2018, I think that was the moment in time that I really felt like, oh, uh, I have a right to be <laughs> at this Pearl <laughs> Jam show because you really had to earn it. <laughs> whatever happens, I, I probably know the song. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm a late bloomer. But to uh, add to that, I'm also a late bloomer with Nirvana in that regard. Ah. because Nirvana was also a band that I always knew the the hits, but not much besides that. I think I always was a little bit annoyed by the admiration for Kurt Cobain, that I sort of went against the grain because of that, and I thought, like, yeah, whatever. Okay. I don't think Smells Like Tea Spirit is that good. So <laughs> I just sort of disregarded yeah. it. Well, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs>
0: uh, do you remember what was, like, the first Pearl Jam song that really struck a chord with you?
2: During the time that I... Listened to 10. I was still more leaning on the heavy side, but the first song that really sort of hit me with the lyrics and, and as a whole was Release, which is the last song of the
3: record.
0: Yeah, I had that one uh, under the button because um, <laughs> I already asked you that question when we were yeah. <laughs> preparing for that uh, for the podcast. I, I think it's so interesting that you got to know Pearl Jam quite late, mm-hmm. but still that uh, their first album, 10, was also the album that got you and got you in and got you hooked f- first.
2: Yeah, and I think that is... The, the reason for that is very lame. It's because my my mother always used to listen to Radio 2 in the Netherlands which is plays a lot of sort of old guy music <laughs> yeah <laughs> quote, quote marks um, but at least and, call it classic rock then. classic oh, rock please. but uh, yeah it's not only always. classic rock no, yeah, you're so, right. but anyway they I think that's where I heard songs like alive or black yeah or Jeremy so you didn't hear any songs from the other records so there was no I, I didn't really even know they existed. You should have thought of that because of course but
1: But what age were you when you started getting into that do you think
2: i think i was around 15 Mm -hmm. 16 something like that
1: one of the things that strikes me in pearl gems records because i I i went back to to listen to everything obviously for the podcast and like when they came on the scene back then i was 15 16 and I think one of the things that was so striking back then, especially about that first album, was darkness in some of the lyrics. The fact that some of the songs... I mean, Jeremy obviously is the best example of something referring directly to a school, just like the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit had that teen thing in there. That album sort of taps into that teenage angst for some reason. And the albums they did after that have less of that teenage feeling I think in them to me at least when I listen to them so maybe that's also a reason to like get grabbed by that first album and stick to it for a while before moving on to the other yeah. albums.
2: One thing I do know is that it's I don't think it's really considered cool within the sort of Pearl Jam fan community to <laughs> have 10 as your favorite record <laughs> really? um, wow. I, I, I think a lot of people still have it but as their favorite, if only for nostalgia reasons. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think Versus The Second Elm still has some of that energy and that yep. angstiness. But after that it just fades away. A big part of that is that when Ten came out, like Eddie Vedder was 27. Yeah. So you can't do that when you're 35. No. You know, you can Well, some, you can, but it probably wouldn't work as well. <laughs> it no, would it be... would then it would be like like an act. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I think in that, that regard, they, they matured. Yeah. And to sort of bridge to Nirvana, I'm in preparation of this podcast. What I thought about a lot is how would Kurt Cobain matured yep. as a songwriter? And on the way here, I was thinking, well, right now we still look at Kurt Cobain like, oh, he's so influential. He's one of the biggest songwriters of the 90s. But he still has that sort of aura around him because he died
1: yeah exactly
2: and if he would would have released songs now like at at almost 50 or 50 plus would we still like oh there's a new kirk Cobain song (laughs) coming out like (laughs) how many how many artists can keep that up for that long yeah uh, there was only one i could think of that was bowie like his last album still made an impact and changed something
1: yeah amazing
2: but like for pearl jam they matured but right now they their music their new albums are just like they're there and they're for the fans, but they don't change anything anymore. No. no. Not like 10 did. And I I, I wonder if, if Kirk Cobain was a songwriter that could have kept that up, like, yeah. be influential even when changing his style.
0: Yeah.
1: That's yeah, interesting. I think that I agree with you that when artists grow older, they mature and develop. And I think that having that impact is... It's also less interesting to them because like when you first come on the scene you want to be like big and, and exciting or whatever, and then later on it's just like, Well, I just want to make good music, which is great in itself. I mean, <laughs> when you can maintain your your career for so many years and still make great albums, that's that's pretty amazing. But and I think that even though Nirvana only had like three proper albums, I think you can already hear that same sort of development that we're talking about now with Pearl Jam like starting out with that teenage angst thing and then moving on to other stories and other feelings still in the same realm but less of that teenage anger (laughs) I guess so it it would make sense for them to have at least developed away from that as well and I don't know if if In what direction, but yeah.
0: And of course, we'll never know. So everybody can like project their own feelings and thoughts about it and be really, really sure that they would never make something crappy or disappointing or whatever, because you can't get disappointed if they don't make anything new anymore. And yeah, it probably would have happened. I mean, nobody can maintain the same level of quality over time and if they would keep on doing the same thing people would say yeah it's it's more of the same yeah and if they would change it up a, a, a lot more then yeah then there's a chance that you don't like it that yeah. much anymore because it's so different or whatever yeah but to go back in in in, in time just just a little bit were you aware of the whole nirvana pearl Jam rivalry at, at the beginning when you got introduced to pearl Jam?
2: Um no not back then or did, or, or did you I... understand why they were sort of lumped in together no uh, I, I never really understood that and I still musically I still don't understand it to this day because if you listen to Nevermind and 10 I don't think there's a song in either album that would fit on the other one the only no, song not. from Nevermind that I can imagine as a program song somehow is something in the way for some reason but I never really got it and I think the best sort of introduction to that whole story was was the 20 documentary for me where this whole f- feud or whatever you want to call it was addressed but before that I didn't really know and I didn't really know about grunge as a sort of phenomenon either yeah that's so
0: interesting because I think for a lot of people that's like canon but of course for pe- for people who discovered the music later that's not not that's not even a thing no. i mean
1: and like you said it's like musically It's so different that it's hard to understand that we thought of it as the same thing. (laughs) Basically just because they're from the same region and it was called grunge and there was this whole thing. But who decided to call it grunge? (laughs) Exactly.
0: Maybe we should illustrate this with like a a small snippet from Pearl Jam from their debut album, which came out, I think, a couple of months before Nirvana released Nevermind in which we can hear something that Pearl Jam did like all of the time and Nirvana hardly ever did, which is like two guitar lines and really a lot more complex stuff musically. So uh, let's listen to like the the final part of their uh, very famous song, Black. I don't think there's a single Nirvana song that ends
2: even close to uh, what Pearl Jam does here. I mean,
0: it's, you, it's you can't imagine
2: different. it on a Nirvana record. I mean, you 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 can't see this sag to stay away or something. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> would be funny, but yeah. Uh, but I, I can only imagine at, in 1991, Kirk Cobain would make a song like this as a joke song, <laughs> and he would get in someone getting to shred and do a very like a, a parody of it and i can imagine that if you are a big nirvana fan you would absolutely hate this sort of classic rock style but i do think the bands have a similar spirit even back then yeah um and that that also goes for eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain. they were very similar in spirit so i i kind of get how they attracted similar crowds and i get how you put them in the same category because of that, but sound musically, ah, I good. don't, I don't see it. Of course,
0: you're totally right. But they were like from the same area, coming up in a pretty much the same moment. I mean, yeah. So that's where, why they were lumped together. But I also think it has something to do with the background of Pearl Jam. Yeah, because in the mid '80s, uh, a lot of the members of Pearl Jam were in a band called Green River, uh, and they were sort of like the. Well, you could say, in a way, w- w- one of the very first grunge bands. Yeah. Uh, even today on uh, Subpops' website, uh, they say, the story of Seattle's rise to global rock supremacy in the late 80s and early 90s begins with Green River. So they yeah. were very, very influential.
1: I think they started in like 1984 or something yeah. like, pretty early.
0: Yeah, so um, they they were... Kind of like the, the godfathers of grunge in, 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 a, in a way. Let's first uh, listen to uh, what uh, Green River sounded like. Here's their song Unwind. And the singer you just heard was Mark Arm, who later became the singer of Mud Honey, which was uh, one of Kurt's favorite bands, I yep. think. And they were very good friends. So, yeah, there were, there was already a connection there. Green River broke up. I think Mark Arm and the rest of the guys kind of got a, into a fight about the musical di- direction they were going in. I don't really know what, what went down, but um, Mark Arm... Uh, Like I said, um, became the front man of Mudhoney. The other guys um, created a a new band called Mother Love Bone. And um, well, let's have a listen to Mother Love Bone as well, just to get it, uh, to get the whole package complete. Here's uh, Crown of Thorns, which I think is their most famous song, you could say, more or less. Yeah. Mother Love was like destined for success yeah. or, or at least uh, a lot of people uh, feel about it that way. But then uh, the singer uh, Andrew Wood died in 1990 of a heroin overdose. And after that, some of the band members um, met up with Eddie Vedder and they eventually formed Pearl Jam. I think the interesting thing about Mother Lovebone is that you can already hear that they were going in a more stadium rock. Yeah. Pretty much. Mo- they they kind of remind me a bit of, of a, like a mix between... Queen and Guns N' Roses, something like that, <laughs> but not very grungy.
1: No, no, definitely not. When you listen to Green River, it's it's that punk rock feel that other grunge bands has as well, had as well, but Mother Love Bone is so different already. It's definitely going into that stadium rock direction uh, for sure. Yeah.
0: And then when uh, Nirvana made it big and. Pretty soon after that, uh, Pearl Jam uh, also uh, became uh, one of the biggest bands in the world. I I kind of have the feeling that Kurt Cobain maybe was annoyed by the fact that his friend Mark Arm, who was in a band with these guys who did like the the more grunge rock thing that he really liked, um, didn't become so successful. But the more showy musicians of Pearl Jam did. I I think maybe that's why he sometimes started to talk bad about them in interviews and stuff like that.
1: I read an interview with some of the band members of Pearl Jam who said that they weren't that bothered back then by what Kurt said because they sort of heard the words of Mark Arm in his words. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they didn't take it that seriously. They were annoyed, obviously, but they were like, okay, he's just, he's speaking up for his friend and he doesn't know us really. So it's... Yeah, it's fine. And,
0: and 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 of course, for people who don't know, maybe it's good to say that Gert said in interview stuff like uh, Pearl Jam jumping on the bandwagon and yeah. they were marketed as like a, a grunge band just to become successful, which was a pretty absurd claim. Because like I said, um Pearl Jam's debut album came out before Nirvana released Nevermind yeah. and became so successful. So that was kind of... Yeah, not a really good ar- <laughs> argument, I would say.
1: No. And maybe the fact that Eddie Vedder was from San Diego didn't help either. I mean, here was this new guy coming in from out of the Seattle area and, and just jumping in and being successful. Yeah, but um, then
0: again, Kurt wasn't from Seattle and he always felt
2: like an outsider as well. Yeah, so. true,
1: true.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: I have always felt that like Pearl Jam was really part, at least like Stone Gossard and Jeff Amon, they were really part of that she- Seattle gang. Yeah. With Soundgarden. And, and I always felt like Nirvana was always on the edge of it. Like, yeah. not really part of they it. Were. And they rejected it because of that, maybe. Yeah. But um, at the same time, Eddie Vedder, and that, that shows in a lot of interviews from that era as well, he rejected that success as well. He didn't. I mean, if you see the Pink Pop show and you have the, him with these pictures of the crowd after the show, and we, we want to go back to playing small clubs, is literally what yeah. he says he had this this attitude like they shouldn't be that big either so in yeah. that, that regard they were sort of again same spirit yeah, yeah um true. and i think in the end that's why because kurt also said that he respects eddie uh, in the end and i think that's where they sort of their paths cross or their at least their way of thinking yeah they, yeah. they found each other
0: yeah yeah, yeah I, I think you're totally right I also think one of the strange things is that uh, Kurt was talking them down a bit, but they had even toured together. Yeah. Not very long, but I think together with the Red Chili Peppers, they, they did a couple of shows. And at one of those occasions, Pearl Jam more or less covered Nirvana. Not really. I mean, <laughs> Pearl Jam was on first. Uh, the crowd was, because Nirvana was like the new hot thing, more or less waiting for Nirvana, I think. Uh, and then uh, Pearl Jam did this.
4: Oh, that's it, Mike. Come on, I don't think... We gotta give it to them now, they can't wait any longer. Just by looking
3: at them. It's
5: our favorite band, that's all. Just remember, we played it first.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think this was meant mean to the to Nirvana this was maybe just you know making fun of the audience yeah but uh, yeah it's more resentful
2: towards the audience than towards Nirvana I think <laughs> but Kurt
0: more or less uh, returned the favor because he covered even flow or well he sang the word even flow <laughs> uh, this was at a festival I think in in Finland and uh, there was somebody in the crowd who had like a sign. Uh, with on one side I think it said a uh, uh, teen spirit and the other side uh, said uh, even flow, but he held the side um, <laughs> uh, the the wrong way around. So he uh, was 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 flashing a sign with even flow during Nirvana's performance, and uh, well Kurt uh, got inspired by that. so there there were some things going back and forth mm-hmm. between the two bands, but I think in a in a playful way, mm-hmm. it never got personal or never really really got mean. Uh, like you already said later, they more or less uh,
2: buried the hatchet for yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of listeners or fans would argue that the hatchet was never really dug up or it was at least <laughs> dug up by the media um, yeah. And uh, uh, in 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 Pearl Jam's twenty Stone Gossett remarks that Pearl Jam is a better band because of Kurt because I also think he sort of held up a mirror in front of them because you know of his remarks of them being I don't know showy or posers or whatever that also made them reflect a bit on like are we living a sort of the yeah. rock star lifestyle yeah. is that really fitting for us so um, thank you Kurt yeah yes yeah.
0: yeah and in the end um, yeah Kurt and Eddie I don't. No, if they were, were really like close friends, but they they got along. But, uh, then again, Kurt yeah never really became a fan of the band. Here's uh, here's what he said on Empty uh, about that.
3: What's up with we you and We never had
4: a fight ever. I just have always hated their band. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like you're friends or anything. No. Well, I mean, I I can consider him a
5: person that I really like. I mean, we've had a few conversations on the phone. I, I really like him. I think he's a nice, really
0: nice person. So he's a really nice, nice person but his band sucks. That's <laughs> which, basically Which like. is okay. Yeah. I mean to close this uh, this uh, subject off um I'd like to play a clip from uh, Eddie Vedder and uh, Jeff Amond uh, who were on the Bill Simmons podcast uh, I think last year uh, talking way too long about basketball uh, in my opinion <laughs> but um they also uh, reflected on uh, what went down uh, between Pearl Jam and Nirvana uh, in the early 90s uh, so here's that
5: you know, I came up and I was just, I was the new guy. And man, it, it, it just meant the world to me that, that I could have friendships with, you know, Kim Thyle from Soundgarden or, um, uh, the guys from Mudhoney and Bob, the manager. And it just, and it still means the world to me. You know, I, I still, I'm like Ronnie Wood in the Rolling Stones. Like I'm, I'm still like the new
0: guy.
3: <laughs> right.
0: I remember when, uh, When Cobain initially criticized the band, like that had a pretty dramatic effect. I know you worked everything out and got along with him later, but that one time that he lobbed a grenade and you guys were pretty open, like it really made you reevaluate um, everything you were doing. When you look back at that now, do you think, like, should it have impacted you guys that way or was it legitimate?
5: Well, I think that was more. A construct of the press, right? Is that right, Jeff?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there, there's that Rolling Stone article where the guy—I mean, I can't remember his name, Michael Azerado or whatever—he, he, he wound me up, and then I ended up saying something like, I, I can't remember what I said, like it was something about riding whose bandwagon and who's riding. And, but he, he was working it from both ends, um, and that article was the thing that sort of. Blew it up a little bit. I mean, I mean to be honest, we didn't really know those guys. I mean, even in the early Seattle scene, like I knew Chris Novoselic a little bit because he was friends with the Melvins guys and with he would roadie Melvin shows. But um you know, those early Green River Mother Love Bone days, like the Nirvana was kind of a South Bay band, so we 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 didn't really hang out with them until we didn't we didn't even really have the opportunity to hang out with them until much later and by that time uh you know it was
0: too late right what do you remember about that time now oh
5: shoot you know there was i have a couple voicemail messages from kurt on a tape somewhere you know back when your voicemail was on a cassette um there was some cool intro there was a valentine's party at at nova selich's house and there's a jukebox in the basement and Tad and Kurt and were wrestling in the corner, and then somehow I got involved in that. And
0: then, you know, it was it was just just great, great times. And like they say uh, in the interview, um, pretty soon after that, it was too late because uh, Kurt uh, passed away, and and Nirvana's uh, career ended, uh, of course, uh, with with that. And I, I I think Eddie Vedder really showed his better side by. Uh, the way he responded to that. Here's uh, here's what he said.
4: There's a lot of space between us tonight. And, uh, you know, we always complain about, uh, you know, the good old days and playing in clubs, but actually, you know, clubs you couldn't get in unless you were 21, that kind of stuff.
3: Oh, unless it was a fantasy show.
4: We're not only kind of far, we're kind of elevated. I notice it's a little more than usual. Either that, or I've gotten taller.
5: But I don't think it's very good to elevate yourself. I think that can be very dangerous.
4: sometimes, whether you like it or not, people elevate you, you know, whether you like it or not. It's really easy to fall. So, uh... I don't, I don't want to be the messenger, uh, you know, somebody who delivers bad news, you know, uh, kill the messenger. But, uh... This here tonight it for Kirk
1: yeah, it feels uh obviously very genuine, and I think like you were already mentioning they have a lot in common and I mean Pearl Gem stopped making music videos, for instance, not wanting to well have that elevation that he's talking about here. Like Eddie obviously as like being a good-looking guy, frontman of a new band, definitely would have felt that pressure. And I think that the the way they handled that was was quite amazing. And against the grain, hearing him say this like this, it's, I think it was definitely kind of a wake-up call for them as well, everything that happened.
2: Yeah, I think... Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain have a very similar personality and Eddie Vedder was sort of lucky enough to, to get away with it. I mean, yeah. I think Kurt Cobain in his life had some more destructive tendencies maybe. That's all, That's also due to outside influences probably. I think it could have ended up the other way around if just a little bit would have been different. This clip really still is the same Eddie Vedder. He could do the speech Again, at a show next year when it's allowed again in a similar style. But uh, like you said, I think it was a a huge wake up call for them. Like, okay. And we talked about this in preparation that that maybe his savior was Neil Young.
0: Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Let's delve into that just a a, a bit deeper. Apparently, most people think that the song uh, Immortality uh, by uh, Pearl Jam was. more or less inspired by Kurt and Kurt's uh, death. Um, There's a version of it uh, on their 1994 album Fatalogy, but there's also like an earlier live version uh, with different lyrics, which is written in the first person. And it has, I think, a very interesting uh, reference uh, to a Neil Young lyric. Let's listen to that first. And then, uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, say just a a few things about that uh. I'm a big Neil Young fan as well, so I'd like to <laughs> grab the opportunity to uh, <laughs> to talk a bit more about that. I, th- I think this song um, quite c- clearly references the song uh, My My Hey Hey by uh, Neil Young. Here's what I mean. Yeah, and that line is better to burn out and to fade away. Uh, Kurt quoted that line in his suicide note. So um, yeah, there's a very, very clear uh, connection uh, right there. Also, I, th- I think it's even in the Pearl Jam documentary where Neil Young says that he always felt like he wanted to call Kurt yeah. and to tell him that, yeah, he should just do whatever he wanted to do. And um, that's what he did uh, himself. Uh, I mean, he had no problem following up a very commercially successful album with a very inaccessible album. And, and, you know, sometimes felt like he was almost sabotaging his own career, but he was just doing whatever he felt like he wanted to do. And uh, he later got introduced to the guys of Pearl Jam. And uh, I think it was Eddie Vedder who said that he finally had somebody who could like lead by example. So, yeah, it would have been great, of course, if, if... Neil Young could have like played the same
2: role for, for Kurt, but uh, it never happened. We do have to make the disclaimer that Eddie Vedder always stated that immortality was not about Kurt Cobain. Okay. Um, sure. But even in the documentary, you have the whole... Um, they speak about Kurt's death, and then immortality comes in. So even within their own documentary, they sort mm-hmm. of make the connection. So I find it hard to imagine that it's completely separate from each other.
0: Yeah, well, it, it could have been not about it and not about Kurt, but it could have been inspired by the events yeah. or by the feelings that he had because Definitely. of what 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 went down. I mean, that's very well possible. And uh, I can also imagine why he wouldn't want to publicly state that this is my Kurt Cobain song. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, why, why would he do that? No. I mean, but I also want to point out that um, Neil Young also really appreciated Kurt Cobain. He got inducted by uh, Eddie Vedder in the in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And during his um, induction speech, um, here's what the new, Neil Young had to say about that.
5: Uh, you know, there's a lot of great music out there today. I'm proud to be uh, a part of it and uh, really happy that uh, there are so many great bands out there. And uh, I'd like to thank Kurt Cobain for giving me uh, in- inspiration to... To renew my
0: commitments. I looked this up. Um, Eddie Vedder inducted quite a lot of people uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall (laughs) of Fame. Uh, He also inducted R.E.M., uh, on which occasion he uh, mentioned Nirvana. He inducted uh, the Ramones, and he also referenced uh, Kurt Cobain, saying that uh, even Kurt Cobain wanted to be as good as the Ramones. (laughs) And I think he uh, inducted the, uh, The Doors. But uh, on that occasion, uh, unfortunately, he did not mention <laughs> Kurt or uh, or, <laughs> or Nirvana. But um, that's kind of like the end of my presentation about uh, <laughs> about Neil Young. Um, except that uh, we we should probably say that Pearl Jam and Neil Young uh, work together. Yeah. And w- we at least should play um, uh, Pearl Jam and Neil Young playing uh, "Keep on Rocking in a Free World," yeah. which is like one of uh, Neil Young's uh, most famous uh, songs, I think. So uh, here that is.
4: There's the farm stores and toilet paper star
0: And I, I think even to this day, they sometimes play this song at live shows, right?
2: Uh, if you go to a Pearl Jam show, you have a good chance of hearing this cover. I think okay. it's I think this and "Baba O'Reilly by The Who are the two songs they cover the yeah. most. Oh, really? Yeah. I've seen them four times and I've seen this song at least two and I think three times. I'm not sure. Oh, but wow. At least two times.
0: Did not Nirvana also do like a crappy version yep. of Baba O'Reilly? Not really s- taking it seriously. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, I, I I I don't have it lined up. So
1: yeah, but, yeah they did. <laughs>
0: yeah, you can probably find it somewhere. Um, you, you know what? Uh, keep listening to the end of this podcast, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll I'll throw it in. I I promise. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. So just to go back just a little bit uh, to the like the, the 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 timeline. I mean, where with Kurt's passing, of course, the whole interaction between Nirvana and Pearl Jam ended. Although I think Dave Grohl, of course, became friends with the guys from Pearl Jam. And I'm pretty sure they, at some occasion, did something together because Dave Grohl did something <laughs> together with everybody, basically everybody. <laughs> but, but but the whole Nirvana connection, of course, um, uh, uh, faded. Um, and they had, like we just said in the beginning, they had like a whole career and a whole development that Nirvana never had. An album I think we should mention is a No Code from 1996 because that's when they more or less got in, into like their experimental
2: phase, right? Yeah, that's Pearl Gym's weird album. Yeah, um, and- uh, yeah. It's it's the first song already sort of sets the tone, yeah. who you are, and from there on out, it's like it's not a completely different band. There's elements of old Pearl Gym in there, but there's a lot of stuff going on that I think I've read. That alienated fans. I was seven, so I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, l- l- let's listen to um, who you are so everybody uh, knows what we're talking about.
4: Long to not come to
0: I'm not the biggest Pearl Jam fan, but uh, this one keep, really keeps me listening instead of thinking, well, well, let's let's skip to the next track and or skip to the ones that really stick out to me. So I think as, as a whole, uh, I like this one a lot. It's one of, one of my favorites, I, I must say. But then again, yeah, maybe it's because I tend to like the less accessible albums from big bands, something <laughs> like that.
1: Maybe it also has to do with the fact that you listen to it as an album, because let's not forget in that period of time, it was still a lot about the singles and the music videos and stuff like that. And then releasing an album that really needs to be appreciated by listening to the whole album a couple of times is obviously going to be really hard to reel new people in and keep casual fans with yeah. you. So, yeah. Yeah. Big gamble,
2: and it's no surprise it comes after that whole period when Neil Young, of course. I mean, that whole lesson, like do whatever you want, exactly. And sort of, it was the next step in their rejection of being big because Vitalogy, the album preceding this one, they released it on vinyl first because they didn't like CDs, (laughs) (laughs) which was also some form of self sabotage in a way. And this is just the next step to sort of clear the bandwagon of some people. Yeah. See who sticks around, and that's that's the people you, you can build a career with. It took me a long time to get into this album. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely up there. There's just a lot of songs to unpack. I still listen to the album from time to time, and I think, oh, wait, In My Tree is hmm. a lot more interesting than I remember. Yeah. Uh, or something like that. So there's always something that, you know, sort of catches you off guard, even after listening to it tens or hundreds of times. And that's less so the case with a bunch of our Pearl Jam records. Yeah,
0: and it also, like you said, marked their um, phase of trying to more or less reject the fame and create their own path. Um,
2: They they,
1: they already had that whole Ticketmaster spat by then, right? Yeah, Yeah. that's
2: before this one. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. Where they basically, I think they even sued Ticketmaster, right? Because they thought they were getting too much money off of their ticket sales. Um. I'm not sure if
2: yeah, it there was, was a, a lawsuit. Yeah, is. but I'm not sure if uh, Prolgem initiated that. They hmm. they were asked, Jeff Amon and Stone Gossett appeared before um, what is it, a congressional committee or something who investigated whether or not Ticketmaster had too much of a if it, whether or not right. it was a monopoly. Yeah. Um, and if they had too much influence on the business as a whole. But looking back at that now, I'm going to make a little jump, but in the Pearl Jam documentary, you hear them talk about oh, we know what it's like for young people not to have enough money to go to a show, and we don't want to pay more like thirty dollars for a ticket, and now they charge like a hundred ten euros for a ticket to see them, <laughs> yeah. and that feels that always rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, and rightfully um, so. I mean, yeah, yeah well, it's well, 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 they, such they an annoying it. thing. Even so, when that Eddie whole Vedder... ordeal feels yeah. kind of wrong to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. E- even when Eddie Vedder did a, a solo tour. He played in Amsterdam in the Carre uh, Theater, just him and I think his ukulele. <laughs> Maybe brought some guitars as well. Where people were saying, "Well, this isn't a very expensive production, but still the tickets are very expensive." I mean, what what happened? So they eventually changed their mind a bit, I think, and decided to, you know, to more fit into the business kind of thing. I think they were tired of fighting. Which I can understand, but it's...
2: Yeah, the whole tour they did when they were having a fight with Ticketmaster, that also went wrong in so many ways. So I think they also understood, like, if we don't sort of cooperate or find a way to work together, then the fans get nothing. Yeah. like And and that sounds like a sort of, like, a very heroic thing to do, like oh, we do it for the fans. But you know, I think they came to a realization that it's a necessary evil, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well their their next album was called
0: Yield for a Reason, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh um and I, I'm oh oh I'm I'm really wondering if Kurt would have been able to yield and to think, oh, I'm just gonna lay over and, and stop resisting and just let it all happen and have my nice rock rock and roll life and do whatever I want and it's it's fine not to be bothered with stuff like that. I, I I'm I, th- I think that he probably wouldn't have been able to do that. I think for him it was more like all or nothing and then either quit or or just I don't know. I, I I'm not sure if he was willing or able to to fit in like like Pearl Jam eventually did.
2: Yeah, but here again, it, it's it's so hard to speculate about that because when Kurt died, he was twenty seven, when Eddie Vedder when Pearl Jam released Ten, Eddie Vedder was twenty seven. So there's a whole sort of step in the maturity that yeah. yeah we we just don't know. Maybe he would have mellowed out and yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know.
0: That's that that's a fair point. Shall we play a track from from Yield? I, th- I, th- I think the probably the most famous song is "Given to Fly," but I'd like to play another one which. Yeah. Which which I always like a bit more, I think. Uh, it's called a wish list. I just really like the, the melody and the way he sings it. But I also think there's something with songs in that in the lyrics have like a list. Like uh, one of these uh, things first by Nick Drake. Or
1: yeah.
0: um, this one really reminds me of the song Doesn't Remind Me of Anything by Audio Audioslave. <laughs> yeah. mm. well, which of course is fronted by Chris Cornell uh, after he uh, he left uh, Soundgarden. Yeah, I, I don't know. There, there's something with some of those songs that just... Strike a chord with me? I don't know. It's it's just a, a personal preference, I suppose.
2: Yeah. You
1: like uh, Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover as well? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And um,
2: we uh, didn't start the fire. Yeah. Oh no, that's I don't like one. that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't think even uh, Billy Joel
2: likes that one no. himself. So uh, I think this should be a Spotify list playlist. Yeah, oh, songs great. that list things.
1: Yeah,
0: my favorite things from Sound of Music.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, it's a good one.
0: Wow, let's make a, a list list. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah.
1: make it and put it on Facebook. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I'm out of examples, uh, so I'm, 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 not,
0: I'm not sure. Yeah, but,
1: you, um, you edit the show, I'll try and make a Spotify list. <laughs> okay, great. If you make
0: the list, I'll post it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if,
1: if anybody listening is like, oh yeah, I know one, just hit us up and we'll put it in there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, where should we go next? I, th- I think it's point where we can more or less uh, cherry pick from uh, Pearl Jam's pretty impressive catalog. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anything you you guys would like to request or point out or?
2: I think I think um, what comes after Yield like uh, that's Binaural and Riot Act and the, the, those are the follow up albums. The funny thing is I've read a couple of books on on Pearl Jam on Grunge on Eddie Vedder and I watched a couple of documentaries and. The story of Pearl Jamal's always kind of stops with yeah, basically by because then you have the incident at Roskilde, which had a huge impact on the band. But the just, story just for, for the for the people who don't yeah know, oh yeah sorry yeah could,
0: could you summarize what?
2: Um, they were playing uh, Roskilde Festival in Denmark and the crowd was I don't know if it was overexcited but the the people were being squashed at the front and it ended with I think nine people who died because of that. And it was like in the middle of Pearl Jam set and they had to cut the set short and it was um, a very impactful event on the band. And they were playing the song Daughter. The next time they played that song, they really needed the crowd to sort of get them through it. Uh, And Eddie Vedder actually in, I think it's Love Boat Captain, he has a line referencing the, the nine people who died. Nine friends will never know, I think is the line. Wow. Um, and it's not a song I really like, but that line specifically gives it a bit more weight for me and makes me come back to it every now and then, even though as a song itself, I, I don't really care for it, but I think that's, that's a special song in that regard. But it's funny to me that the story of Pearl Jam always sort of, it either ends with yield or after the little skill leaf and there's like, and then the band existed and there's not like huge Events anymore. There's not songs that were very impactful. I think "Just Breathe" is the only song from the last 20 years of Pearl Jam that really had a sort of global impact. It's so strange to me that a band that for a short period of time was such a phenomenon sort of exists now. Yeah, and for the for the fans, it doesn't, and and they still, I think they still win new fans because of their older albums, because of their live shows, but it's so. Easy going now.
0: Yeah, they kind of stopped making an impact.
2: Yeah, but it's also like there were no huge squabbles within the band. I think Mike McCready had a, a this is speculation. I'm not sure about this, but I think he had he had some some health issues. But besides that, there's not like a big big moment for Pearl Jam anymore.
1: They lost the spotlight somehow. I don't know why or how, but yeah
2: if there's anything to mention from the last 20 years of Pearl Jam, is that they are regarded as one of the best live bands yeah, uh, yeah. and sure. i think I, from, maybe it's because they started releasing their bootlegs <laughs> from 2000 onwards but for me it feels like they cemented that sort of position as one of the best live bands in the last 20 years and i can honestly say that the first time i saw them that was that was the moment I, that i understood all the stories I read about Pearl Jam live. Yeah. I think it's a bit like there's a, I don't I'm not sure if it's a saying or I've heard it once about Bruce Springsteen. There's there's like, there's people who like Bruce Springsteen and there's people who have never seen him live. Yeah. And I think if people who hate Pearl Jam would see them live, I'm not saying they would become a fan, but they would at least understand the appreciation for the band a lot more. For me, that's, that's what the last 20 years have brought Pearl Jam. Yeah.
0: Next time uh, they come to the Netherlands, I'm going to try to get some tickets and uh, I'll go see them. I also think it's very interesting that they are the one surviving band from that uh, era. Yeah. Or at least one big, uh, one of the big bands. I mean, Nirvana ended tragically, Alice in Chains ended tragically, Soundgarden split up and eventually lost uh, Chris Cornell. Um, So they ended to be... um, some of the other bands never really made it big or and 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 still ended <laughs> tragically. I mean, there, there's a lot of tragic stories there, but somehow Pearl Jam managed to survive and and made like maybe they were lucky, but maybe they also made like more healthy decisions. Yeah, I, I'm not sure who said it, but I think I've read in an, an, an interview of a supporting band that was uh. Uh, that was on both uh, Nirvana's Euro tour and uh, Pearl Jam's tour at the time and he talked about how different it was and how much the guys of Pearl Jam were in control themselves of what they wanted to do and how much Nirvana was almost like a rag doll being thrown around and not having any real influence on their tour schedule and stopped communicating with each other and right. yeah it, it was like a drag and very tense situation when Pearl Jam had already more or less overcome that situation. I do think there's a reason why why Pearl Jam is the one band from that era and that time that, that survived and still mm-hmm. is around today and is still doing live shows and making records.
1: But that that's interesting because what you're both saying now is sort of that, that's been their blessing, but also, well, I won't say a problem, but that's also what sort of started keeping them out of the limelight <laughs> because there's no drama. and no. they just yeah, keep Nathan, releasing cool, cool but, records and yeah. then, yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the same thing with Foo Fighters, I think. They had their share of the drama um, for sure, but uh, I think on that front, everything's been quiet for quite some years now and they're you know they're more or less losing the limelight as well i mean they've always um, comes out with interesting projects like documentaries and i think they released an ep of bg's covers now so <laughs> they're they're doing weird things but apart from their live shows i think they also lost a bit of their relevance
1: yeah but they they sort of tend to get to the limelight a bit more i think also by their Political and and social stances where Pearl Jam also does a lot of those things. I, I I really appreciate how they have always been like they have their own foundation. They do a lot of political stuff as well, but for some reason they do tend to do it maybe less openly than than somebody like Dave Grohl does, who is. More outspoken, I
2: yes. guess. Yeah. I, I have a lot of sympathy for Dave Grohl, but he loves attention. Yep. And Andy <laughs> Feder is almost a—he's almost a hermit. Yeah. And Dave Grohl is—he's very accessible. I think. Yep. Yeah. That keeps him in the limelight. But like the BGS LP of EP, <laughs> that kind of stuff—it feels kind of gimmicky. And it is. That—that's what I started to dislike. I don't want to make this about Foo Fighters, but what I started to dislike about Foo Fighters—they always had a gimmick with their album. One was surround was built around a documentary, and then we're gonna uh, record it in my garage. And there was always like something a gimmick or surrounding it. And I really appreciate Brodyum for not doing that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm very cynical, but that already makes me dislike what whatever is coming. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, and I like the Foo Fighters, but I I kind of hate that about them that they almost became like a. a I feel like they became like almost a joke band sometimes the last time i saw them was in 2015 and they had this long band introductions with snippets of covers and i was like just play a song from your discography (laughs) and and i really appreciate that pearl jam never did that they never they never wanted that attention anymore yeah um so i I, 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 I think that. my
0: cat agrees with you. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not 100% sure yeah. that people can uh, pick up on that, but uh, I, I think they can. I want um, to chime in. But yeah, but I have to say, um, the cherry picking from their catalog isn't really Going oh, yeah, 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 yeah. anywhere. <laughs> um, you you did mention a couple of songs uh, like like Daughter or, or Just Breathe. Uh, would you like to play any of those or maybe another
2: one? I think Just Breathe, I think it's well known, but I think it's the most, relevant in sort of popular music well, track they release go. so
4: <laughs> yes i understand that every life must end oh-huh. as we sit alone i know someday we must go oh-huh. Oh, I'm a lucky man to count on both hands the ones I love some folks just have one yeah others they got not oh, oh. stay with me oh, let's just
0: breathe I must say I Kind of like Pearl Jam's ballads better than their more rock stuff, just mm-hmm. because I think the way his voice comes through in the, on, on on those songs is is just just really really good. I mean, you can't argue with that. I
2: think, now, especially nowadays, because yeah, yeah, on their last record, uh, Gigaton, there were some like heavier tracks, and they almost none of them really struck a chord with me because I don't really buy it anymore. I don't know. Maybe it was the songwriting as well, but the ballads and the softer stuff really works better.
0: Yeah, I'd like to throw in another example that I think people in the Netherlands are pretty familiar uh, with by now, but people from other countries probably aren't. Um, A couple of weeks ago, um, we had an uh, assassination in the Netherlands of a a Dutch journalist, a crime reporter called uh, uh, Peter Peter R. de Vries, let's just say it in Dutch. He had like a motto, which was taken from a uh, Eddie Vedder song uh, that's on the uh, Into the Wild soundtrack, called uh, "Guaranteed." And because of the shocking death uh, of, of of this reporter, um, that song really got played a lot, got covered, got a lot of a lot of attention. Uh, and I also think it's a very good uh, song uh, from from a very good soundtrack album, which really showcases Eddie's. Um, ability to really deliver those kind of acoustic songs. so uh, I'd like to play that one as well.
4: Oh, bending me is no way to be free Lifting up an empty cup I silently With All my destinations Will accept the one that's me So I can breathe Circles that grow Say good night to wives I'll never know. And a mind full of questions and a teacher and my soul. And so it goes
0: I always think it's really impressive that songs gain like me- new meanings and new new layers because of events like these and yeah.
1: Yeah, this ties in with something that we didn't have time to <laughs> discuss at all, but Eddie Vedder is a really good lyric writer. That's one of the things I most appreciate about his work is the ability he has to do great storytelling. He's written a lot of songs in third-person storytelling, which is something that I personally like. He's pretty articulate in conveying meaning and images and using the right words for it. And, uh, And I think that that's one of the things that makes Pearl Jam a really good band. Just the way that he evokes... Stories and emotions that a lot of people can relate to,
0: and he can be really honest and open as well. Yeah, alive, which is obviously uh, one of their first big, big songs. It's just him singing, even in the first person, about his own personal experience, about about his dad and uh, and stuff. Well, it just I don't have to explain anything about it if you listen to the, to the song and maybe look up the lyrics. If you can't mm-hmm. <laughs> understand uh, uh, all of what he's singing, then it's it's really really one-on-one it's not yep. it's not like a puzzle no. the way uh, kurt mostly wrote his lyrics like more cryptical and disguising things and denying that it was personal and yeah i, th- I think there's, there's a big difference there anyway um you already um mentioned their um latest album gigaton <clears throat> uh which was released in uh, 2020 you i was really surprised that when i asked you for uh, your favorite <laughs> uh, pearl jam songs you, you picked the song of that album mm-hmm. uh, would you like to um, tell us why first and then listen to it or the other way around
1: <laughs> uh, just listen to it first
0: okay cool here's our retrograde
4: it's gonna take much more than all it is
1: What I like about this song is it has that feeling of those first couple of songs and albums. Like You can immediately recognize in in the chord progression that this is definitely a Pearl Jam song. But it also shows their progression. I find it really interesting that it's a song that has that Pearl Jam feeling from the beginning, but shows them as the mature band that they are now. So that's why it really speaks to me, because I really like listening to that aspect of, of their work. Um, and apart from that, I think it's, I mean, it has beautiful lyrics and the video they made for this is great as well. As you know, I'm I'm big on <laughs> music videos and visual aids, and uh, I think uh, they made something uh, really nice uh, to go with this, if yeah. you don't know it uh, Check and, it
0: and, out. and if you don't know that about Yeditja yet, uh, just uh, listen to our previous, <laughs> previous. podcast and uh, exactly. uh, just uh, uh, mute the podcast when we talk about the first edit of the Smells Like Teen Spirit <laughs> video. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think we've talked a lot about Pearl Jam and their relationship with Nirvana. Um, anything we skipped over or you'd like to add to the conversation?
2: Go see Pearl Jam live. <laughs> I guess that's that's what I, I want to add because i i think that really if you don't really like them i think that really will change your perspective on them and i'm i'm really glad to hear that you love retro, retrograde so much because for me personally i the last album didn't really stick with me and i'm glad it still sort of finds new uh, new hearts to sort of win over yeah. so yeah i'm i'm glad it's, there's still some relevance to pro jam <laughs> cool. outside of their live shows
0: <laughs> yeah I feel like the, the perfect way to close this episode would be to play a Pearl Jam live track. Is there any track that really made an impression on you when you saw them play it
2: live? Yeah, but then we're coming back to the track we played in the beginning because that's release. They always play release as an opener at the shows or almost always. The first Pearl Jam show I went to, I wanted to hear release and I didn't play it. <laughs> so the Aww. second time I, I sat there and the first song and I was like, ah, oh, Again, no release. So the third show, there was just one, one song I wanted to hear. And I even told the people I was with, like if they play a release and just walk off, that's fine with me. That's worth <laughs> my money. And I saw Stone Gossard grab a D chord and the riff is in D. And I knew they were going to play it. And then he started the riff. And I, that was, I think, one of the most the things that stuck the most with me from any concert ever. Like those just those first notes of release. So I'm going back to that. But I will change that up. Um, no, it, don't.
0: It's 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 a great yeah okay. Yeah, and we're gonna yeah. I felt the, I felt the, like the podcast oh, full circle. Yeah. yeah nice. All right. And, and and by the way, I, I already looked up a live version of release. All right. So <laughs> plug it in. <laughs> okay. Great. Uh, first, I want to thank you for uh, for joining our podcast.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, it was great. Uh, great to have you on. Also, uh, Yedidya, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, Always here. Once again, people out there, of course, thanks a lot for listening. Like we said in the beginning, you can uh, send your final thoughts about the podcast uh, in, and we might uh, read your message on the, the final uh, episode, which will be the next one. You can also still send your top 10 Nirvana songs or your top 10 Pearl Jam songs, if you want to. Go for it. Forward them to me. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, send uh, <laughs> You can send input for our podcast. Um, songs that have a list in the lyrics <laughs> projects that you did you're going to start but, um, but I think I, I said enough uh, let's have uh, Pearl Jam have the last uh, word with uh, their song Release
5: working with us tonight. I think it's so. Uh, we've earned it. We've earned it. Is there a guy named John in the front? Where's John? just want to point out someone here in front, because he was
4: the first guy in line two days ago. Four days ago. We're gonna be in front for this
5: song because it meant a lot to him and he's just gone through some stuff and we're gonna help him out and we're gonna...